You're listening to Education Experts with EDX Education. Education is evolving. Join Heather Welch from EDX Education chatting with teachers, psychologists, parents, authors, creatives and other talented experts to keep up with the trends and what's happening from around the globe. This podcast series from EDX Education discusses home learning, school readiness, being creatives, changing in education, discussing what's next, hands-on learning, or as we like to say, learning through play. Welcome everyone, I'm Heather Welch from EDX Education and today I'll be in conversation with Dr. Roseanne Kapana-Hodge, award-winning children's mental health expert, author, keynote speaker and founder of the Global Institute of Children's Mental Health. Dr. Roseanne is based in the USA, however, is known globally. She's been referred to as the mental health trailblazer, changing the way that we view and treat children's mental health. Forbes magazine's called her a thought leader in the children's mental health. She believes that no matter what the stresses are, we can calm the brain to live successful, more focused and happy lives. One of her programs, Brain Behaviour Reset, has helped thousands address the most challenging conditions, which we look forward to hearing about today. We are also chatting with Roseanne about children's mental health and well-being, a calm brain, the program for Brain Behaviour Reset and the Global Institute of Children's Mental Health. Now that was a mouthful. So welcome Roseanne, thank you for joining us today. Well, I'm so excited to talk about, as always, kids' mental health, but we're going to dive into play therapy and how it supports, you know, not just behavioral regulation, but future brain development and how kids regulate themselves and learn to cope with stress throughout their lives. Oh, I'm so excited about that. That's definitely a passion that I have is play-based learning, learning through play, just look, allowing children the, the time to, to play, I think is one of the most important things. But first of all, can I ask you to introduce yourself and your passion for children's mental health to our audience today? Yeah. So, you know, I, as you so graciously introduced me, you know, I'm a psychologist and a therapist and author. I'm also a mom of not one special needs kids, but two. And long before I had my own kids, I really became passionate about helping kids and families. And how I started was that when I was five, my mom's friend, Angela asked me what I wanted to be an out of my mouth came that I wanted to be a psychiatrist. And I look at the what had happened as sort of a divine sort of intervention. And I call it a divine download. And I had no experience in mental health. I was five years old. I, I remember <laughs> it like it was yesterday. I remember her face being like, what is she talking about? And how does she know what a psychiatrist is? And along the way, I realized psychiatrists really were doing pharmacological interventions. And that wasn't what I wanted to do, nor did I believe that is what really creates lifelong happiness. And that's what my life's work's really been about. And, you know, I started working, this is my 30th year in mental health. And I started working in undergraduate and I started working with very high risk kids, Mm -hmm. um, you know, kids in poverty, kids without access you know, to mental health or behavioral support, even learning support. And I realized that with a short, a small amount of TLC from me as an undergraduate student, that I could make this huge impact on a kid. And uh, I was like, wow, 
I love working with kids. Anybody who knows me, you know, I'm really serious about what I'm doing. I have a high level of integrity and I'm really looking to make a global difference, but I'm also super fun. (laughs) And kids are fun. Kids like, and, and the joy about kids, they don't know they can't get better. Parents come with a whole lot of history, a lot of worry, a lot of failures when their kids struggling with, you know, physical or emotional health. And I get that, right? I really get that, not just as a practitioner, or as a mom, but we often put limits on what we think the brain can do, right? And so I just knew that I could help kids and I could actually see an immediate difference. And that was even before I started doing some of these truly deeply scientific therapies like neurofeedback, biofeedback, and psychotherapy. I was really doing behavioral support and a lot of play, a lot of adventure-based activities. That's where it is. And obviously over these 30 years, Heather, not just in the United States, but across the globe, they say that 14% of kids in their uh, school age through teenage and early adulthood have a diagnosed, diagnosable mental health issue. That's 14% right now in the world. And that is a lot. And, you know, in the United States, 50% of kids with a mental health issue do not receive treatment. And I'm just thought this is just so unacceptable. And right before the pandemic, I started the Global Institute of Children's Mental Health January of 2020, because I said, hey, we've got to push out. We've got to teach people. It's going to be okay when they use science-backed solutions, but we have to teach parents what is going on. What does it mean? Give them that psychoeducation, but also what are the steps, what they can do, and that it requires some consistency right? There's no magic wand. And I think that's the hardest message that people are not hearing because it's so contraindicative of like what, or or contradictory to medication information that says, just take this pill. And even when you take the pill and it it maybe helps, right? Despite a hundred percent of the time having some type of toxic side effect, they're not being shown. Well, okay, your kid has ADD, try this medication. Well, what else are you supposed to do at home? Because you're supposed to do other things too. So parents are frustrated. They don't know their own power. They're not provided with other choices. And that's really what I'm all about is empowering parents, giving them the direct tools on how to change their lives today, but to create awesome future human beings. It's so lovely talking to you about this, Dr. Ozan, because the way that you're talking about it takes away, I find that people have a stigma to children's mental health. So it's still that, you know, oh, that's okay, you know, build a bridge and walk over it type thing rather than actually, or do you think that I'm going to be looked down as a parent because I'm my, or a caregiver because my child has this, so it's obviously come from me, you know, so there's all those stigmas that come around it, or they're going to have to go to a different school. They can't go here. I can't afford it. There's all sorts of reasons why people wouldn't go. But do you think, is this under, is this the 14% since COVID or is this pre-COVID? So it would be even higher. Oh, I, I think actually COVID has opened up conversations. Yeah. I, I really do because I think some people, in my experience, I've seen more people, Heather, in the last two years who've mm. never received uh, mental health treatment in their entire lives. So the first time people I'm seeing more of than the entire 30 years combined. 
Wow. So people are experiencing mental health and really they didn't have a history of it. It's, it's compounded stressors is what I like to talk about. And, you know, this really, you know, I, on a personal level, I saw people that I didn't think uh, would be so affected uh, like work colleagues, like literally lose their darn minds, like really become completely imbalanced in the world of being at home with their kids, uh, having to manage everything. These are adults. And I think some kids, a small minority fared well because they got to be home. They got (laughs) to get up and move. They got to have hot meals. You know, they got to do some things. And then other, the majority of kids, oh, virtual learning is a drain. So I, I think the conversation of the stigma of mental health is it's there and we're finally getting better about it. I think the larger issue is we're talking about it, but we never talk about solutions other than medication. I mean, I can tell you that, you know, there are bots that go after social media accounts and, um, and they talk about, you know, like I've had people get very angry with me that I'm talking about how to change their brain. And they're like, well, you know, I'm somebody who supports neurodiversity and so do I. Um, and they're like, this is ridiculous. You can't change your brain. A hundred percent of people need to be on meds. And I'm like, wait a second, you're saying you can't change your brain, but you're saying they're meant, you know? And so I think that we are all, and and, and it can be a very angry situation. I never, whatever people are doing, they need to honor what they're doing and lean into things that are working and explore options when it's not. But we never, ever talk about the importance of, you know, supporting behavior, calming the brain and parents are the ones, you know, a therapist appointment once a week, isn't going to move the dial. If you're not integrating those changes at home, when it comes to kids, you know, and adults too, for themselves. So we have to talk more about the solutions and the behavioral things that need to change. Cause that's the way learning works. Oh, absolutely. And you know, you're right. It doesn't matter what it is. You need to be able to like, just say, let's, let's talk ADHD, for example. So there's there's no use, I suppose, in my point, giving a child a tablet and then expecting them just to be okay. You still have to, you still have to provide the sensory or the external, I suppose it's not the overloads, the activity, the stimulation, the hyperstimulus, you know, the sense like you still have to cater to their needs. You can't just expect them to then sit and learn. They're still going to have rituals and ways. That's right. That's where, you know, let's have a chat about ADHD. I suppose let's have a chat about what's your thoughts because, you know, in, in the, in your, one of your blogs, you mentioned that 9.6% of the U S population is diagnosed not just school age but population but in the UK they quote two to five percent of school age children are currently um, diagnosed with ADHD and I suppose as maybe it's a little bit of an ignorant um, question but do you you think people are misdiagnosed and maybe their behavior could be through you know a, a different toolkit you know maybe it's adverse childhood experiences that's brought out this behavior and then they've just decided actually quick and easy this is what it's going to be rather than routines I don't know healthy maybe sensory processing disorders or anything like that well you know I wrote that blog (laughs) about all the things it could be besides ADHD because at least 50% of the time somebody comes to me who thinks they have ADHD including adults and they don't 
And, you know, I do something called the QEG brain map for people that are, can come to see me in person, but all my virtual clients, we do a brain check, which looks at, they're both ways to look at brainwave activity. And we know that, that certain regions do certain things. So if an area is overactive, well, this is how it's going to act. If another area is underactive, well, this is how it's going to act. And ADHD is very classic. It's very apparent when you see it. Too many unfocused brain waves, not enough focused brain waves. It's as straightforward as straightforward gets. There's no guessing. But, you know, there is a huge list of things. So one of the most common things today that I see that people misdiagnose ADHD is anxiety. Um, so anxiety, it looks behaviorally the same way for many kids, especially kids that are people pleasers, they're conscientious, they want to do the right thing, but worried thoughts drift and pull them away, right? Mm-hmm. So they have these zone out periods. Exactly, right? Is that ringing a bell? Another thing that I see very commonly is learning disabilities. So many kids with dyslexia, mom, my youngest is dyslexic, John Carlo, and he's fully normal in his reading, but his spelling, you know, is atrocious, but that's okay. He's going to be, he, he said in his fifth grade autobiography, he's going to get his PhD in engineering. He'll be fine. <laughs> and you know, he will too. <laughs> oh, he will. He's so organized. It's not even funny. Like, he's like came out like organized he reminds me to do things I'm like he's my mother my mother has a unbelievable memory she's a contextual memory where she can pull up the day from you know 50 years ago and literally be like oh yeah in September you know 1973 you were doing this so he has that memory too it's so fascinating but many kids with dyslexic right and ADHD are brighter than normal And so they can be missed and dyslexics can memorize words. They can't, it's the phonemes, right? It's not a visual processing problem. It's an auditory processing problem. And so their brains can get very overloaded when they're decoding. So they're sounding out words because there's so many, uh, reading is one of the most complex neurological tasks a human being will ever learn. And uh, so their brains get overloaded And the system sort of shuts down and they can look very unfocused. You know, it's sort of like if you think about it for yourself, if you're not dyslexic, like think about a time you're in school where you had a study and it was like one more piece of information made your brain shut down. That's what happens with dyslexia. So they can appear inattentive. I would say the other big thing is that birth traumas and head injuries can look identical to ADHD. So, and there's other things like seizures and adverse childhood reactions and, you know, uh, you know, uh, not reactions, adverse childhood experiences like trauma, um, depression, OCD, the list can go on. You have to really, if you're properly diagnosing somebody with ADHD, you've got to rule out all the things that it could be. And yes, all those things do impair attention and we do have to address attention, but we're not going to give somebody with OCD ADD medication. We're going to send them to a rabbit hole of anxiety that's just going to send them over the edge. Um, and we don't talk enough about, you know, how common reactions are to ADHD medication because there's a misperception because it washes out of your system after the dose ends. Like if it's a 12 hour extended, it, it ends. We think there's not toxic side effects, but there are. So getting the right treatment, whatever it is at the right time 
is so critical. And that starts with the right diagnosis. Absolutely. I mean, I read read this book once. I think it was uh, ADHD 2.0. Have you read that? It's by Mm -mm. Edward Hallowell. Hallowell? Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Okay. And he talks about people are symptomatic of ADHD, but don't actually have it. Yeah. He talks about, so they, they look like they've got the symptoms of it. So it's not necessarily that medication is going to fix that or it's going to mask actually in there, you know, when they, they're not being taught to deal with actually something that they need to deal with for the rest of their life. So they need the tools and the rituals. And yeah. The, so I mean, you know, Heather, a lot of my very intellectually gifted kids, I mean, very high acute. I know everyone thinks their kid is bright. My kids are bright, you know, and they, <laughs> right. But there's bright. And then there's like, you got a 99% IQ, percentile <laughs> IQ. Okay. That's 2% of the population. So a lot of my super high IQ kids, which I have a lot of, they get misdiagnosed as ADHD because their brains are like on fire, fire always pulling yeah. on stuff. And then they tend to have sensory processing issues. So it's almost rare that I don't have a very high IQ kid with a sen- without a sensory processing problem because their brains are designed to be sort of wide open. Open, they have an increased amount of neural connections in their brain. That's that's what Einstein had. He didn't have a bigger brain. He had more neural connections. He actually had a genetic defect that allowed him to process 400 times the rate wow. of a typical brain. Uh, and really cool. I do neurofeedback and not only calms the brain, but it improves the neural connection. So um, whenever anybody hangs out with me, they get kind of freaked out about how much I can do and how quick. Um, I'm not saying I'm not smart, but neurofeedback <laughs> just took me to another level. And certainly good lifestyle, you know, being active and really trying to bring joy in my life and really, really eating very, you know, anti-inflammatory diet and, you know, all those things really help. But, you know, uh, the brain of somebody with intellectual giftedness, they have these sensory issues. These are kids that can be difficult to manage um, because they might be understimulated by sensory information. They be, might be overstimulated. And, and many kids with ADHD have sensory issues. Many kids with autism. Um, I forgot to mention autism is frequently, it's almost rare that I don't get a kid who's what we would consider high level autism. And it's not that the social impairments aren't there, but they might have a high IQ. Okay. So the yeah. impact is still there. But they're they, high they functioning. Yeah, they're high functioning, but not really. They just do well in school. So social is still a bear and a challenge and they might really have a lot of sensory issues. They might, you know, not want to be because of the sensory issues. It's sort of a barrier to hugs and love and things like the loving kind of connection that might not be, um, it might be challenging for them, but they frequently get diagnosed with ADHD first. They're very missed. We just aren't using the the tools that are readily available and have been because we have a medical pharma model. Right. So we think everything has to have a neurotransmitter problem. That just isn't the truth. Right. So, yes, these things do impact neurotransmitters, but we have to start looking at, you know, if your kid is struggling, like what it, what is ADHD? Right. What is executive functioning? ADHD is the brain's ability to alert. 
executive functioning is being able to plan and prioritize for a future event. And when all of these conditions that we talk about, they often have difficulties with learning and they have difficulty planning and prioritizing for some future action. And, you know, when we think about our kids, like what do people always complain to me about with kids who are ADD or AD-like? They don't listen. Fidgeting. Yeah. They don't listen. They don't listen. They don't complete tasks. Isn't it that the, right. they don't, the process of the information needs to be said a different way? Because if they're not Absolutely. doing it, like, it's just a slow, it, like they're really fast and bright, but it, when you're asking them to do it, they're probably thinking about how to create the new, I don't know, is it Roblox? They all, if it's yes. an one or something, or how to, I know if it's my smallest child, he'd be thinking, how can I create a trap that's going to trap the dog from the, the, the bathroom? 100%. The kitchen, you know? And I'd be asking him to pick up his shoes and he'd be looking at that door going, I'm going to, I'm going to create that trap. How am I going to do it? Type thing. So, but it's the processing of the, the, the instruction really. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And the 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 crux of the difficulty, I spent a lot of time educating people about executive functioning is that they are not seeing the end result. So when we ask mm-hmm. a kid with ADHD to hang up their book bag, they don't see the book bag hung up, right? Soon as I said, hang up your book bag, oh, for anybody yeah. who's got good executive functioning, they see the book bag hung up, not the ADD kid their brain isn't going to that. And there's a lot of reasons why, I mean, that area isn't developed. There's a lot of skills. These are skills that can be taught. And again, parents are not aware of how to teach these things, which is why I do a lot of education for parents about it and and have a cool little program for parents. It's very low cost um, to get this going because it can be very frustrating, right? And, you know, and that's where play therapy right? And play activities and action-based learning, right, is so Mm -hmm. important. And we know there's even some recent research came out this week, and I didn't read the whole study, so I apologize. It was either this week or last week about how when kids are doing more adventure-based, action-based learning activities that they have better attention, they have better mental health. And there's so many factors of, of why, but Ultimately, it calms the brain. That's the basis of my work is calm brain, happy family. And it teaches kids through motor planning, through coping with with stressors, right? Because some things don't go your way. It teaches you problem solving. Um, It helps you to work out your frustrations. And movement is the language of children, right? (laughs) It is. It is definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And we often like, you know, sometimes parents will come to me and they're like, my kid didn't tell me they were depressed. Really? Because what's the word that you're supposed to say when you're depressed? I'm depressed. I don't think kids know that unless you are, you know, we are a high EQ family, the Hodges, right? So we're always talking and my older son has chronic Lyme and pans and has had very serious mental health struggles um, since he, he got sick at 22 months old. Um, and at 17, he's on the other side of it, but he's still the self-regulation. He's more aware and he's able to, to manage it, but he has a lot of sensitivities and largely because he has tinnitus. So he has ringing in his ear all the time. Um, and that distresses his nervous system. So he's learned to have coping skills, 
But play-based action activities were a part of what I did as part of why I pulled him out of school when he was really struggling at seven and exclusively homeschooled him for a number of years. And he's back, you know, finishing high school homeschooling because it works better for him. I'm not saying that's the only option, people. I'm saying it's the option that worked best for my own kid. But what's so cool about having, you know, using different forms of education or if you're going to a school like my younger one goes to a Montessori school and they get two to three hours a day of physical activity, two yeah. to three hours a day. They need I mean, that. Children they need that. They need, need it. Yeah. And, you know, it gives the brain, it gets blood flow to the brain. It releases all these feel good um, endorphins and neurotransmitters. There's so much that goes on when you are actually physically moving. And, and obviously play therapy is different. Play therapy is there's some type of clinical issue or behavior. You don't need a diagnosis and you're getting support from a trained therapist, right? A licensed therapist who's showing you how to support your child through play, right? But there are many activities as parents we can use and model and, you know, teach kids self-regulation. My favorite, favorite activity that I did with my own kid is to kids is to set up obstacle courses. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Do you, did you do that too? I Heather? love that. Do you know, we did a lot of that in, um, yeah. uh, in lockdowns and stuff. We would have, you know, any part of the house would have been floor is lava and then we'll do the obstacle course to get through it. Yeah. And all those types of things, but we love, and they set them up and then they've That's created right. this most amazing elaborate, whereas mine wouldn't have been that elaborate. Mine would have been keeping it simple. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. And, you know, and you can use things you already have. Like we would use placemats as stepping yeah, stones. Absolutely. And balls. Right. And, you know, I think every home should have a mini trampoline because they're inexpensive. And even if you live in an apartment, you can flop it up and you can put it against a wall, but it's a great way to get kids to get their sensory needs met. And it's what's called deep proprioceptive feedback. So it really gives the body needs some deep pressure. If you don't have that, you can do things like roll your kids in a carpet or a really heavy blanket. And there's so many fun ways to, to support kids. And, you know, we need to move. You know, Dr. Azan, as an adult, I need to move. I need to move myself. If I find if I've had too many days, maybe at a conference or sitting down around or just really focused on my desk, I kind of lose it after a few days and I'm really grumpy. And I just think, and my husband always says, I think you need to go out and do some exercise. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I couldn't agree more with you. These days of Zoom are ridiculous and everybody wants a Zoom. And I'm like, but two years ago, we would have been a phone call. And I now write (laughs) phone call. Right. You know what I mean? I've gone back to phone calls. I've just said to people, well, how about instead of Teams, we just have a phone call? (laughs) It'll be quick. (laughs) It'll be quick. Absolutely. It seems a little different. There's a lot of it. Well, we're not designed to be sedentary. Our bodies, this is not what we did. And certainly in the last, you know, few generations, as we move towards computers, you know, we need to move our tuchuses, as I like to say, right? We need to get that going. We need blood flow. We need activity. And without movement, you know, motor planning, which is your brain thinking about taking action and then coordinating those actions, 
those are foundational skills for executive functioning, right? Mm -hmm. And if your kid lacks executive functioning, it means they are not planning and prioritizing. They are not thinking forward. As I, as I talk about my John Carlo, he's got off the charts executive functioning skills. Like I could barely keep up with him. He's <laughs> like, oh, we're going on our trip on Friday. Did you bring this, 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 this? What about that? You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh yeah, that's a good point. You know, and uh, we were packing last night and we went through the list. He went through the list. And we packed together. And then he was like, wait a second. I could watch him, Heather. He was seeing himself in the water and he was like, I need my um, water shirt. And I was like, oh, it's a good thing you were here because mommy wouldn't have packed it, you know? <laughs> and, and we do a lot of activating, you know, kids with ADHD, they're almost exclusively visual and kinesthetic learners. In the moment, really. Yeah, yeah, and they're rarely auditory learners, yet we're always gabbing at them and giving them a <laughs> list of things and they're like, what? So we got to get them moving. We've got to get them role-playing. We've got to get them gesturing, just like I did with Giancarlo. Like, you know, uh, when we had to do this, we never did an autobiography, right? I started with the end and it was big. I mean, we're talking, this is a big project that they took weeks. So I was like, okay, let's start with the outside. When you see your book, what does the cover look like? Okay, now open up the pages. What, what does it look like? We have to reorient how we're doing this. And I think one of the things that happens for a lot of parents is they think my kid's got 127 IQ. They should be able to do this. Okay. Well, you didn't just know how to drive a car and you might have 157 IQ. <laughs> It'd be foundation skills are missed. Yes. And not everybody has everything. Right. No, do you know what I mean? True. So, so, and I think there's such a misnomer that these skills can't be taught. Right. But there, you can't, you know, you can't expect your kid to be on a device 10 hours a day and then turn in their homework. You know, that's just or not be motivated. It's or even just be motivated to do their homework right. because it kind of would be the demo. Now I'm, I am conscious of time, so but I want to ask you, there's two more areas. I just want to have a quick chat with you. On. Sure. And first of all, is one of your, is, I know that you've done three books. You've probably actually authored, you've um, released a few more, but the last one was brain under attack. And that's a, some resources. That was actually my first book that I, I did it. with a nonprofit and it's mm. about pans and pandas and the effect of inflammation on the brain and how it's creating neuropsychiatric problems for children, like sudden, and it's, you know, sudden onset of psychiatric issues, attention issues, regression of behaviors. Um, the conditions are, it's called pans and pandas and it's on the rise. So, um, especially with COVID COVID can induce it. And it's a very scary condition because kids can be totally typical. And then all of a sudden literally be for lack of a better way to say it and nothing derogatory, essentially almost crazy overnight mm -hmm. and, you know, behaviorally acting out and, or in some way, shape or form un unmanageable. And there's so few of us. I'm, that's my specialty area. There's so few of us who are willing to support these families because it, it's a very scary place to be. So uh, it was a privilege to, to write that with my friends from Epidemic Answers and get that book out. There's also two more. There's tele, teletherapy toolkit and it's going to be okay. Yeah. My toolkit is for therapists. It's the first book ever written huh. on 
therapy activities, teletherapy activities for therapists to use. And then it's going to be okay, which we're working on updating and making a second edition is a, it's really my whole research-based method and shows parents the steps they need to take to really reduce and reverse mental health symptoms. And, you know, as I say all the time, you know, the parents have the power, they just don't know it. And they just need those steps. I think parents are always so scared when they come to me in person. Like I said, I work with people all over the world. This just isn't a problem unique to America, even though I think America's mental health is way worse than any other area that I know. Certainly, you know, uh, and, and, and that's because in Europe, there still is a priority on having fun <laughs> and, <laughs> and having balance and in Americans, we just don't think of fun in the same way. We're not as social and we really are social beings. We need to be social. We need to be active. We need to be having joyous moments throughout the day. And I think we're not doing that as much. Oh, now the other one I want to touch on was, can you quickly tell our audience about a program that you developed? That's your trademark. It's called Brain Behavior and Reset. Yeah, Brain Behavior Reset. It's really what my work is, that if you don't calm the brain, there's no learning as possible. So what we do is we teach parents, individuals on how to calm their brain using science-backed methods only. Then we come in with new learning. We show you those steps and then that resets the brain and behavior. Um, I mean, that's the key. You, you've got to calm things down. You, you can't you know, go into a house on fire and go, oh, where's the kitchen? Let me make something to eat. <laughs> You know, but yeah. yet we have a kid who's like a hot mess, you know, punching his sister, telling you to F off, um, you know, never remembering to take their homework, you know, in whatever is going on with your kid. And then we're like, they need to be a straight A student. They have, they have 126 IQ. They need to get their stuff in. So let's focus on that. We're going to ignore that they're doing all these behavioral things. Behavioral regulation and what's called response inhibition, regulating your responses is the foundation for everything, all learning, all processing. And, you know, if you have a kid with OCD or anxiety or depression, they can't do the cognitive behavioral work until we calm that nervous system down. Um, so that's my message. That's what I'm really teaching people about. Nobody's really talking about this. And it's so logical. It's not even funny. Like as soon as you hear that, you're like, of course, but that's not how we treat people. We're like, okay, here's this pill. It may or may not work. It's Russian roulette. We're not going to take any science. And we're 70% of the time in the U.S. we're giving kids medication that have no research behind them. They're called off-label. So we're giving them adult medications with and, and just trial and error approaches. Is so because of cost in the healthcare system and it's private and all the rest of it, is that just because? No, I think it's two things, really, honestly. We, as a society, now believe everything is a quick fix, okay? Yeah, so we're believing that and we don't want to change what we're doing, right? That doesn't mean as a parent you're bad parent. It means your kid needs something different from you. And what I challenge parents is to say, you're already working real hard. It's really unpleasant. You're, you're creating such a rift with, between you and your child and probably with you and your spouse and probably with the rest of the family. Why don't you just shift your behaviors that actually improve learning 
And boy, do things get better. And then the other part of this is there is a ton of money behind pharma and what their reach is and what their ability to do what they can do is unbelievable. And not to sound like a conspiracy theorist, because I don't want to be that person, but they spend a lot of money, you know, in 2019, they gave Google $900 million to uh, downrank uh, the words natural and 5-HTP. <laughs> so we, we, you know, there, there's things at play. There's nefarious things at play controlling what we believe. And so unfortunately, most people don't start thinking and looking at research because everything I do is research. I hate that I get pegged into alternative. How is, how is therapy alternative, right? Mm. But is that they're either in crisis because all those other things didn't work and it's a, it's a total hot mess or they already are holistic because of something that happened in the parent or the individual's life and they don't want to see that happen for their child. So I'm getting more and more of the parent who's like wise to, hey, okay, we don't have to live like this. We just got to make things different. But I, that's why I do all these talks. That's why I get it out there. And that's why I always encourage if you're listening and you know anybody who's struggling to share these this podcast with them because this can hopefully is an aha moment for not just you, but somebody you know needs a lifeline um, because we're not talking openly about mental health. We're ignoring things, right? Yeah, Absolutely. I suppose my next question would be, what's your next adventure? Well, where can we hear from you? Or what are you doing next? Well, I'm working on a TED Talk. So um, I'm going to be talking about how to calm the brain in a TED Talk. Um, I am working hard to create some more affordable, and not everybody can spend thousands of dollars to come and work with me one-on-one. They can't. And I have to have a high-level program because we just give you a ton of one-to-one support and guidance to get you out of this. But there are many things people can do. um, And that's what I'm trying to do is create these low-cost initiatives. We are working on a small group program for parents because they just need parenting lifeline. um, And that way it will be more affordable and it'll be run by very highly qualified people and get input from me. So we're working on ways to better support it. And, and I'm really changing the conversation. Like let's get people thinking, you know, thinking and talking and behind it. Now, listen, how can people get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch, or if they're interested in your book, What's the best way yeah. to look you You can up? go to Dr. Roseanne anywhere. So Dr. Roseanne, D-R-R-O-S-E-A-N-N, no E at the end, dot <laughs> com. Um, you can go to TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. I'm Dr. Roseanne and Roseanne Kapana Hodge on um, Facebook and of course, LinkedIn. But you can you can reach me anywhere. My my website is really a resource for parents um, and you can, you can get a link there to the book. Roseanne, thank you so much, Dr. Roseanne. It was wonderful to have you today and to learn so many exciting things. And just, you know, just interesting to hear how you started your career over 30 years ago and that, you know, you found that you were able to make children feel like they were valued and belong even back then without all the knowledge and experience that you have now. And now you've got the knowledge and experience, it's even better. You're having these, you know, making, changing the lives of 
parents it's really hard on a marriage it's really hard on parents caregivers when you have a child that you want to fix but there's no quick fix and there's not actually a fix you need to work within what you've got and you know nurture that so you know you don't know how to do it and you don't know who to follow so I'm really trying to become that resource for parents because everything I do is science-based you know I'm not just like oh let's try this there's no spaghetti on the wall and that's the way mental health is mental health is spaghetti on the wall we need to end that there's too much research to show us what actually works I know that's kind of marketing spaghetti on the wall we shouldn't be mental health shouldn't be like that (laughs) (laughs) so thank you again it's been wonderful to have you on us today There are so many exciting developments happening right now in education. EDX Education would love to hear from you, so do get in touch or subscribe to our podcast, which is available on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn, and so many more. This podcast series is brought to you by Heather Welch from EDX Education, as she'd like to say, let's create lifelong learners. 